Well, good evening. evening. It is a pleasure to be here. And I did not mean to insinuate. I'm just anxious to hurry up and get done. That is not what I meant. But when you know for a long period of time that you're going to be here tonight doing this, it's just hard to be patient sometimes. And the anticipation of it continues to build and the nerves continue to build. And the Lord continues to work. Tonight I'd like to, well first of all I'd like to welcome all of you visitors here. I call you a visitor. Some of you have been here a lot more than I have. It's been a pleasure for us to be here and it is a pleasure for you to join us tonight. It has been truly, truly a blessed week to be with all of you young folks and spend time in the Word, spend time seeking God, spend time watching what He can do. I understand that the question was raised, and I think we've talked about it numerous times last Sunday, what can God do in a week? We've seen a lot happen, and the week is not done yet. We've got tonight and one more day. And you know what He can do in one day? He can do even more in a day than He did in a week if He wants to. And we've seen it, and it's not done yet. This week has been an amazing journey for me. I've never done anything like this. And it's, it's really quite an experience. Some of you younger ones, or if there's others here tonight that have not been here as a youth and gone through this, it's, it's really something. And I feel honored and truly blessed that I got to participate in that with all of you. Because no matter how many times you come back or how many times I might come back, it will never be this week. And we're at the end. Sunday night when we got here and all the enthusiasm and singing and all that, Friday night was a long ways away. I was worried about Monday morning and Tuesday morning, Friday night, don't worry about it, it's a long ways away, well Friday night's here. And I think you said this is the, Anthony, I forget the number, but this is it. So what do you say at this point? We've spent time with you praying and reading, and teaching, and singing, and laughing, and eating, and walking the streets of Seattle. We've done all that together. And what do we say, what do we do now? I'd like to just summarize a little bit of the week before we start on this message tonight. When we got here Friday night, we had a devotions that night and I just I am amazed at how God works through different speakers spread apart by miles haven't really communicated very much certainly haven't communicated about subject matter 
Everybody had their own part to play, and that's what we did. But I am, I am in amazement at how we started Sunday night with a devotion, and it's ending tomorrow morning. That devotion bookended our week. That devotion started with a paper that was passed out that all the things that I am as a child of God. I don't, I don't remember how many was on that. I think 40, maybe 30. I don't know, however many, a bunch of them. I am this as a child of God. And as I've looked at that paper number, a number of times this week and thought about that, the one that resonates with me the most for this week is I am a blood-bought son of God. That's who I am. And that's who you are because we have faith in Jesus Christ. That makes me a blood-bought son. And that's where we started. That devotions wasn't done though yet. That devotions also talked about peace. Shalom. From the, for this week, as we have worked through this week, we started with this idea of what I am. Confirmation. Acknowledging. I am a blood-bought son of God. We've had a journey all week long. That journey has had its curves. It's had its bumps. It hasn't always been easy. There's been a fair amount of tears. I don't know how many tissues we've gone through this week, but a fair number of them. Including myself. As I recognize and realize just, just a, a little bit more of what it means to be a son of God. And as we've traveled through this week, we've been climbing this mountain Started in the valley, come up the mountain, and that's where we started. And as we've climbed this week and worked through every day, we are now standing on the highest pinnacle of the week, of the journey. And you know where we ended that devotion that Sunday night, young folks? With that shalom, shalom, peace, peace. You see, one of the results of being a blood-bought son of God is we get peace. It's right here. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That's where we stand tonight. We've gone from a recognition, a confirmation, some acknowledgement of who we are, and we've worked through that to end up at peace. As the week has progressed, as we've worked through some of these things, Anthony mentioned that this journey hasn't necessarily been always straight. It hasn't been quick by any means, and sometimes it's been a little painful. But as we thought about this week, we began this, this week really learning about who Christ is. Because if I want to understand who I am, I have to understand more about who He is. Because I am a reflection of Him. I am His Son. So if I can understand Him, I understand myself better. Because that's where I want to be. So we looked at who Christ is. You young folks just named him, named them all. Creator, Savior, Lord, Intercessor, and Coming King. Coming King. This would be the ideal moment for this group to meet the Coming King tonight because we're on top of the mountain. 
as we've continued to work through these messages from, from who Christ is, then we begin to build perspectives as we understand God and we recognize realities that there are in life and choices we have to make for those realities. We have to think about perspectives. We've learned about having an eternal perspective regarding life and death, habits and discipline, relationships, discernment and influence in challenging times, and then finally what it means to be aliens in an uncertain world. But it all started with who Christ is. It all started with this idea that I am a blood-bought son of the King. From that point, we worked into recognizing that if I want to be close to Christ, if I want to get to peace as a son of God, then Christ has to be my sufficiency. He has to be my all in all, all the time. It's not something I add to. Christ is sufficient. And we looked at a number of sufficiencies. Christ is sufficient to be my identity. Christ is sufficient to be my daily salvation. Christ's sufficiency gives me a passion for souls. Christ is sufficient for my relationships. And Christ is sufficient for my choices. Out of all that, we've had revival evenings. And because I'm a blood-bought son of God, because I've got a better picture of who Christ is, because I've been thinking about my perspectives, maybe having a perspective change, because I've thought about the fact that I don't always live valuing Christ as being all-sufficient to me. He is all-sufficient, but I don't always let Him be. I like to hang on to some of that sufficiency for myself. Young folks, we talked about that. How badly we want to retain a little bit of control. We give it, we give it all. So I surrender all, 98% of it. Because I want to keep a peace. And so as we've had these revival meetings, we've learned about freedom from self. The guy that wants to be in control, the guy that wants to give off the image and the idea that he's got it about right, and the little bit he's got missing, Jesus is good for that. And we had a time at the end of that where there was a lot of, a lot of us that gave self back to God. Because that little piece of self is every bit as bad, badly out of control or worse than the other 98% was. And we started with giving up ourself. The second night then, we talked about freedom from sin. You can say, well, they're the same. Well, they're not really. Because self wants to be in control and when self's in control, self has appetites and desires and things that it's, that's not appropriate and it begins to accumulate. And as we thought about freedom from sin, we talked about how the Romans had a form of capital punishment 
where when someone was in one of their forms, they had many, but one of them, they would take, if it was a murder, they would take the, the victim's body and strap it to the back of, the, of the, the perpetrator. And he had to carry around that stinking, rotten, nasty corpse on his back. And ultimately it ended in a gruesome death for that man. As the poison um, seeped from one body into the living's body. Hunched over, sick, stinking, rotten mess on the back of a living man. A dead man walking. And that's what happens when we have sin in our lives. We're dead men walking. We carry massive burdens. We're cumbered down. We can't function. Where's God at? How come my life is a mess? And Tuesday night, we had the opportunity to, to drop that burden. Just let it go. If Christ is sufficient, if Jesus Christ is God, and like He says He is, and He truly is sufficient, He is big enough to handle my sin. Because I'm not. And it breaks our backs. And it tears us up. And it confuses us. And it hurts us. And other people around us. Just give it up. And we can walk. The third night, we heard about the freedom to serve. The freedom to serve. You know, if you want to serve effectively, you've got to get self out of the way because self always has a conflict. It doesn't really suit me. I don't really want to. I don't like those people anyway. You've got to get rid of the sin because how can you serve effectively? How can you bend over and wash the saints' feet when you got a huge pack on your back? You can't. Freedom from self, freedom from sin leads us to freedom to serve. I wish that we could just stop right there. That we could all just stay right there in this moment. We've been to the cross. We've, we've learned more about Christ. We've been in His presence. Yesterday as we made that trip into that glorious throne room in Isaiah 6. And we saw the face of God. What a place to be. The problem is, we're on the top. And when you're on the top, there's only one way to go from there. And that's back down. Tomorrow morning, we're going to get on a bus or cars or however we're going home, and we are heading out of here down into the valley. So that means that for all of us that have been here all week, tomorrow we have to re-enter the life that we had before we got here. The busyness, the responsibilities, the people we're around, we re-enter that. We've, we've kind of been a little bit walled off here yesterday, or this week. Even going to Seattle yesterday, we were kind of walled off because we didn't know anybody. So we're still kind of protected. But tomorrow, the walls come down. Tomorrow, we begin to separate. And tomorrow, that, that brotherhood that we've had of sitting side by side, of crying together, of praying together, begins to spread out. And that's a good thing. Because we can take it from here and do something else with it and do this with others and teach others. But for us right now, as we sit here, it's a little bit disconcerting to think that tomorrow it's back. 
I know I'm only a couple days from my cell phone starting to get really busy and crazy again. And all the stuff that I haven't really dealt with for a week. So how do we stay free? How do we stay living every day in the freedom that we have experienced that has grown from last Sunday night to this point right now? How do I leave this mountain and go back into my everyday life with my everyday friends in my everyday house, driving my everyday car, doing my everyday things? How do I maintain the freedom from self and sin? How do I maintain the passion for service when I'm back in the hubbub and the noise? It's easy here. But how do we do it there? And that is what my topic is tonight is staying free when I go back down the mountain into the valley. Because you see, young folks and all of us, the journey is not done yet. And we'll have hopefully more mountaintop experiences unless the, unless the Lord returns first and that'd be the ultimate mountaintop experience. But if not, and life continues on during our lifetimes or for a while, the journey's going to continue. And there are times when we have to head back down into that valley, back to life. So how do we stay free? I have one whole slide for us tonight. If I can get it. If I can, I'm not going to worry about it. Okay, I'm not going to worry about it. As I start with this, I want to begin with just one little short passage out of Hebrews and then launch for that and how we launch from there into how we stay free when we get on that bus tomorrow and head into the valley. I want to start with a couple of verses that in my mind summarizes where we've been for, a, for the last week. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. You can turn there if you care to, but if not, that's okay. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. We have been in the presence of witnesses for a week. We have been in, presence, in the presence of the ultimate witness for the last week, Jesus Christ. He lived it. He did it. He stayed free. He, he was on the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration. That was a mountaintop for him. God audibly confirmed him. He met with Elijah and Moses. That was the ultimate for Christ. That was a mountaintop. But he was headed for Jerusalem. And if you don't think that Gethsemane and, and, and the pavement and the skull of Golgotha, that Christ wasn't tempted, then you're badly mistaken. And your Savior's not big enough. He was. And those temptations were real because he was also a man. So that desire for self and for control affected him too. And when he looked in that cup, he didn't want it any more than any of the rest of us wanted. A whole lot, he wanted it a lot. How do you make a negative, a double negative? A lot less, a lot more less. I'm not sure, but you get my point. Because he didn't just see mine. I understand mine somewhat. He saw all of yours too. And I don't want any part of yours. I got enough of my own. And he saw all of humanity since Adam until the end. And he had to take it all. So how did he stay free? 
But we were encompassed about with his presence and his Holy Spirit. And we've brought a lot of other witnesses in as we've had these presentations. We've talked a lot about a lot of other men. We've talked about Isaiah's commissioning. He's a witness. But that passage goes on and it says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Lay it all aside. Because we can't move. We can't function. And we certainly can't run. It says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We have a journey. We have a course that God has planned out. We talked about that with the reality of life and death. That God had a purpose and a plan for every one of you since before creation. He picked you for your purpose. That's your path. That's your race. And he wants you to run it and run it well. But if we accumulate enough self and enough sin and gather enough water pots around ourselves, we can't move. Lay it aside. And we've done that for this last week. But this is the great part. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. The first thing in freedom and staying free is looking unto Jesus. The only thing in freedom is looking unto Jesus. The in-between starting and finishing of, of freedom is looking unto Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If He is sufficient for you, if He's sufficient for me with what He did, just look at Him. Because He's it. He's all we need. The author and the finisher of our faith. He started it and he stopped it. What did, what did we learn? One of the things that I learned up here about that is that he, he was the, the beginning and the end of our faith. Why? Because he wanted to do the will of the Father. And salvation come out of that. I had never thought about that before. His primary purpose here was to do the will of the Father. And we get to experience salvation because he was willing to do so. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God as intercessor. And when he comes again as king, he's going to get off of that throne and come back as king. Can you imagine that day? And if he doesn't come in my lifetime, that's okay. I'm going to see him anyway. And he's still going to be my king. For consider him. Think about him. Who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. People like you and me who have experiences, mountaintop experiences, and we want to hang on to the 2%, or maybe we have a mountaintop experience like this where we dump our load, and we head back into the valley, and we pick it all back up again. One of you brothers who prayed Wednesday night, prayed, prayed in your prayer that, you know, Lord, how do we make all this work? Because they sell water pots right back down the street again. And the sin is along the sides of the road. Just waiting for us to just zip in for... You don't have to get out of your car. they got drive-through now. You can drive through and pick up yourself and drive through and pick up your sin. And grab a water pot on the way by. And you can all be loaded up by the time we get back to Ellensburg. I'm wondering, where'd the peace go? I had it tonight. Peace whose mind has stayed on thee. Shalom, shalom. 
I had it. And I lost it by the time I got there. Where to go? Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom. It was leaking out over here. <laughs> Last phrase in that is lest you grow weary and faint in your minds. That means we start loading back up again. Consider him who endured this contradiction. He stays our intercessor. He stays the king. He stays loving us. He stays faithful to us, even though sometimes we continue to load up. And then he brings us to a place like this and we learn and we see him and we come into his presence and we drop all that stuff on the ground and get rid of it. And we need to remember that. Because as we accumulate, we get weary and we get faint and we forget. And pretty soon we're just a hunched up walking dead man. Our lesson tonight, our true lesson tonight, turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to get five lessons tonight, if I can make it in time. We're going to get five lessons tonight on how to stay free. How we can stay free. We've got free. Now, how do we stay free? My, my, kind of my, my uh, jingle is, I guess, here, if, I, you want to stay, if you want to think of it that way, is how can we have freedom? How, excuse me. How can we live in freedom? Or when we live in freedom, that gives us freedom to live. When we live in freedom, that gives us the freedom to truly live. But we can't live until we have freedom. And if you want to live tonight, if you want to truly experience life, if you want to, to find the joy and the peace in life, we have to have freedom and we have to live to do it. Live in freedom so you can have the freedom to live. Five lessons from Luke chapter 18. We're going to break these in pieces as we go. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and to not faint. You can read into that. He spake a parable on how to stay free. How to pray and stay free. Saying, there was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. Lesson number one is that to get free, to stay free, to, have, uh, to live in freedom so we can have freedom to live, is we must recognize we have an adversary. We have to recognize we have an adversary that we can't necessarily stop. 
This woman had an adversary. That's what it told us. And this adversary was bigger than she was. Had more authority, more power, and she was being ground into the dirt. But she knew someone who had more authority than the adversary. And so she took her case to this unjust judge. Now we're not focusing on the unjust judge. We're focusing on the just judge. But she took her case to this adversary, this, or her, her case to this unjust judge to get rid of this problem that was bigger than herself called self and sin for tonight. It is a problem that she would have had as well as we. And she continued to go back and she continued and she continued to go back because she knew that this judge was sufficient for her daily salvation. But you know, that's, we're not worried about unjust judges tonight. This, this passage is way better than that. It says, And shall not God avenge His own elect? Is that not how it ends? There in verse 7, I will tell you that, that my, basically the way that reads is my daily salvation will avenge mine elect. The people that want to have freedom to live have to recognize they have an adversary that's bigger than themselves. But there is one that has the authority to control the adversary. If you want to live in freedom, we've got to go back to the daily salvation and find that our sufficiency is only in Him. You see, when we accumulate, it's because all of a sudden, I find, start finding myself sufficient. And I start accumulating. You see, we are insufficient to deal with that adversary. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That means he's big enough and tough enough and strong enough that he can devour people. Well, we're people here tonight. And when we find sufficiency in ourselves, He will eat us. If not consume us, He'll eat us one bite at a time. Death by a thousand cuts. And pretty soon we're baggaged back down again. But you know, that verse in, in 1 Peter 5.8 doesn't just end with verse 8. There's also verse 9. Verse 9 says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith. That means you find your sufficiency in your daily salvation, Jesus Christ. It's only there that we can have freedom. It's only there we can, we can keep our freedom. That we can live in freedom so we have the freedom to live. When we recognize that Jesus Christ is sufficient to control my adversary. Whom resists steadfast in the faith? Jesus Christ is sufficient to be our daily salvation. But get this, it gets even better than that. There is a promise and there is a confirmation that that will happen. Listen to this verse from John chapter 8, verse 36. If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is a reality that we can all have and experience every day. We can live in freedom so we have freedom to live. Even as we go back down into the valley and Satan is just waiting outside on the other side of the railroad tracks for a whole bunch of protected people for a week whose guard is down because they've let it go. 
Jesus Christ is sufficient for our daily salvation. And if we will go there, we shall be free indeed. <coughs> Number two. Beginning in verse 9. And he spake this parable unto, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Well, do you see a little bit of a problem in that verse? I see a whole lot of problem. I see zero freedom there. And there's certainly no sufficiency in anyone but themselves. Two men went up to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. You ever do that? I have the most beautiful prayers when I pray to myself. When I pray to God, my prayers aren't pretty. Sometimes they're noisy. Sometimes they don't make any sense, but that is okay. This guy had a beautiful prayer. One that got written up in the newspaper, it was so good. He prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Praise the Lord for that. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this guy, this publican. It's funny. It really is funny to think that this guy, I recognize this is a parable, that this guy would have a prayer like that. Lord, I thank you I'm not that person and that person and that person and that person. I, I, Lord, I, I mean, I got it pretty well figured out. I'm pretty righteous. And boy, I'm sure glad I'm not like that guy. You say, well, that's just, it's so, it's so silly, it's dumb. It's really not even funny because it's so silly. But bless you tonight, do we not do the same things? It's called comparative judgment. We all do it, at least I do it, I'm presuming everybody else does, that I begin to justify the garbage I pick up along the way because I put my water pot up there on that board the other night, but I need another water pot, and there's one down there for sale, but I'm just going to buy one a little less shiny, a little less grand than the last one. And I'll justify that because my water pot is smaller than your water pot. So therefore, I'm more righteous. And goodness knows your water pot, I mean, it's outlandish. It's got shiny wheels even. <laughs> but you see how this works. It's real. Jesus wasn't just making up a silly little game here. Because men do this. And if men do it, then we do it. There is zero need for a sufficient Savior in that man's prayer. There's no room for a Savior in there. Because that man doesn't need one. He is sufficient of himself. I didn't even finish reading. I got sidetracked with the story. I fast twice a week. Whoop-de-woo. That's what he's saying. I give tithes of all that I possess. I mean, this guy's got quite the laundry list going here. But, it, it, but now we switch stories. Now we're going to the other guy. And I want you to just feel the contrast in this man's demeanor and attitude and what he's saying to the Lord. I mean, both men thought they were talking to God. Now listen to this man and the publican standing on the outside, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, this man wasn't even sure that God would, would bother to look at him. 
He was engaged in comparative judgment too. He was looking at the, right, the self-righteous Pharisee saying, I don't even, I'm not even close to that. And so therefore, was God even going to hear me? My Bible says that God hears the righteous, not the self-righteous. But this, this publican, he is in such turmoil about all this that he, he won't even come close. He's just standing back, Lord, I am not even worthy to go all the way in. I'm going to go sit over here in a corner because I, I can't come that close to your presence and live. But you know how that parable concludes? I tell you, this man, that's the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Whose prayer did God hear? It was a publican. It was the guy that had, there was no shine, there was no, there was no finesse, there was no pretty, there was no nothing with that prayer. It was bare bones, basic necessity. God, be merciful. There wasn't one category of anything this man did right. If he heard the Pharisee pray, he didn't deny the adultery. He didn't deny that he was not a tither. He didn't deny anything that Pharisee said if that was an interchange. Lord, I've done it all. If you look on the Sermon on the Mount, guess what? We've done it all too. Lust, anger. You know, we, we talked about some of these issues today coming out of Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6. We've all done those things. Number two lesson is the humble and the honest with the daily sanctification shall live in freedom and have the freedom to live. The honest man, the humble man, found his sufficiency in his daily sanctification. And he got to live in freedom, which gave him the freedom to live. You see, we've already talked about some of this. Two men walked into that temple today, that day. Two men. Both of them were insufficient. Both of them needed to find the sufficiency of a Savior. Both of them needed daily sanctification by the name of Jesus Christ. They both needed it. But one had it too figured out. And he walked out, and someday, if he didn't change his ways, and if this was a real man, someday he will get to stand before the King of Kings and explain how self-righteous he is and how sufficient he is. Actually, he won't even explain. He won't even have a word to say because he is so insufficient. And we look at a parable like this and we, we kind of, we you know, pick these guys apart. But young folks, this is us. This week, we've been that publican. We've been here on the floor. You've been in your prayer groups. We've talked. We've shared. We have had the publican experience. Tuesday night as we are... Monday night as we were up here, is that not essentially the prayer? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I can't carry this garbage anymore. Isn't that what we did on Tuesday night when we kind of had two circles and we had the shaps come and put their arms around and over you and pray over you? That's the publican prayer. We don't need the self-righteous prayer. We had that before we got here. and We don't need to pick it up again. Because we are insufficient. 
the publican was honest about his insufficiency. Lord, I am a sinner. That's just about as far down as you can go in honesty. I'm a sinner. God, be merciful. And praise God that He is. He sent Jesus Christ because He knew that we were insufficient. We couldn't do it. And He made Jesus Christ our sufficiency and made Him our daily sanctification so we can have sufficiency in Christ and live in freedom so we can have the freedom to live. Our daily sanctification is able to raise us up together and make us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now this is a mountaintop. I don't even know what you call that by comparison. I mean, that really is a mountaintop. He can make us sit together in heavenly places while we live. When we have the freedom to live, and we live in freedom, I did that backwards. When we live in freedom and have the freedom to live, we get to have mountaintop experiences every day because we live in the sufficiency of our daily sanctification. Number three, verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through, the eye, through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then bless Peter's heart for speaking up. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath, not, that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time, and in the world to come, life everlasting. Again, we have two, an encounter with two men. We have a contrast. Our, our point number three, lesson number three, is all of our needs, our daily needs, are met when we meet, when we, when we recognize the sufficiency of our daily sustenance, Jesus Christ. In this account, what the issue was with the rich man was his stuff. He couldn't get past his stuff. Now, it takes a certain amount of stuff to live. And Peter, he points this out a little, well, Lord, you know, if stuff is the problem, we've left all of our stuff. And Jesus tells him then and blesses him in that and says, yes, that's correct. Because they had found their sufficiency in Christ in their daily sustenance. 
You know, that rich man, he thought he had the answers. He thought he was pretty righteous. He thought that he was really sufficient. If he had any problems, if he had any issues in his life, he had enough money to get it out, get it figured out, and get it, get it sorted out. And he was smart enough and quick enough and agile enough that he could dip and dodge and get out of the problem also. And so therefore he was sufficient in and of himself. So when he met Jesus Christ, his daily sustenance, he really didn't need the sufficiency of daily sustenance. It was already covered. And when Christ told him what it would take to find the sufficiency in the daily sustenance, he didn't like it. Because that means he had to give it all up. You know, that man thought he was a free man. He had enough money. He wasn't in bondage of slavery in the physical sense. He had enough money to get himself out of whatever problems. The problem was, is I think in that man's mind, he knew that he was not sufficient. But he couldn't get himself to the point to recognize that his daily sustenance was all the sufficiency he needed, but it was going to cost him everything. He had to give it up. He had to let it go. Peter then asked that question, who then can be saved? We've all got stuff. You know, Merle talked about the water pots. You know, he made the statement that not water pots aren't all sin. We have to have water pots to live. That woman at the well needed that water pot. At some point, she would have had to utilize some form or fashion just to get water, physical water back to her village. We have to have water pots. That's what it takes to live. But when we become dependent on our water pot, then we no longer become dependent on Christ. We're insufficient in Christ. And we begin to lose our freedom. Because I need to build it. I need to have it. I need to accumulate it. And look how smart I am. And my riches are growing. And the sufficiency of Christ is not necessary. Peter makes that statement, well, we've left everything. And they had. I mean, they parked their fishing nets and their boats. Peter, I, uh, he, we know he had a wife. And I don't, we don't know where she was, but obviously she wasn't hanging around where Peter was that we know about. Maybe some of the other disciples did as well. If they had wives, there's a good likelihood there was children floating around. And they had left it all. Their retirement plans, their 401ks were, were gone because they used those up to pay for the shoes they were wearing out walking up and down the roads. These men were getting down to just a little bit of nothing. And Peter's kind of quick to point that out. Well, if riches are a bad thing, then how are we going to survive because we don't have anything? And the daily sustenance responded to that. And what did he say? He says, anybody that gives it up, they shall receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. Now you, you think about what's the trade-off here. A sense, the illusion of self-sufficiency for a lifetime or manifold more. Beyond imagination. Greater than the eye can see and the ear can hear. 
greater than a, a human's physical, uh, sensory inputs can, can fathom. That's what's on this side. So what, that doesn't sound like much of a trade. Most of us in a real life situation, that'd be like you know, trading a 10 for 100. And that's, even, that's not even fair. It's way bigger than that. But you get the idea, this trade's a no-brainer. When we find that Christ is our sufficiency as our daily sustenance, when we're willing to give it up and let it go, that doesn't mean we all go sit on the street. That's not my point. But we begin to accumulate water pots. My, last one's, or my next one's going to be a little less shiny than the last one, but pretty soon I need to upgrade it a little bit, you know, and then, you know, it looks kind of rusty and ugly sitting on the shelf and put a little paint job on it, and pretty soon it needs new wheels. And who doesn't want an air conditioner in their water pot? And we just, it just kind of creeps up on us. And after a while, remember the, the illustration with the string, we're bound back up again and we're loaded down with water pots and we can't move. If you got enough water pots, you can't go through the, the eye of the needle either. But, 2 Peter chapter 1, some of you quoted that this week. In verse 3, we have everything we need to get rid of the water pots to be able to unencumber ourselves, to live freely, to let it go and let God be our sufficiency as our daily sustenance. Listen to what it says. According as His divine power. Now, by definition, divine power is limitless. There's no end to divine power. Try to comprehend the cosmos and you get an idea of what this divine power looks like and the scope of it. According to his, as his divine power has given unto us, that's you and me, all things, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Everything we need to exactly fit this parable. You shall have more now and eternal life later. Everything we need for life and for godliness. A life that's pleasing to God. A life that seeks to please God. A life whose focus is to please God. That's what godliness is. We've been given everything we need to pull that off. When we are willing to see our sufficiency in our daily sustainer. But it even gets better. There's also a verse 4 that follows verse 3. When we get that figured out, that we've been given everything we need to see Jesus Christ as our daily sustainer, and He is sufficient for that, when we get to that point, then we get verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We get to be partakers. That means participants with God. We get to be in fellowship with Him. What's it mean to be a son? It means we're part of the family. You know, families huddle. Families do fun things. Families have joy together. Families learn together. Families discipline together. When you're in the family of God, it's the same way. And we get to be partakers of the divine nature with God. The other side of that coin is... We get to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. The corruption of self, the corruption of sin. All this baggage we've left here this week. We get to bypass that. It's what this verse says. 
when we see him as sufficient to be our daily sustainer. Number four. 31, verse 31. I put verse 31 just tells us that Jesus is moving now. Then he took unto them the twelve, and he said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. That's all I wanted out of that. Turn the page, or go, we'll go on down. Now we're going to go to verse 35 through the end of the chapter. And it came to pass that as he had come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. So he cried the much more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou have me to do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight, and following him, glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Lesson number four, the solution for our problems is found in our daily shepherd. Our daily shepherd, Jesus Christ. The solution for our problems is found in Him. Let's think this through a little bit. In John chapter 10, verse 27, it says, That my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now that is a really cool comparison for this. This, this was a real event. This blind man, he couldn't see Jesus, but he knew He was coming. Somebody had told him. Somebody had also told him that he was the Messiah. At least this man was placing faith. Maybe, just maybe, this is the man. And if this is the man, he can fix my eyes. We don't have a very good feeling what, been, what it would mean to be a beggar like this, living on everybody else's scraps and trash. We see it a little bit with the homeless. You know, they take, how many homeless people we see carrying an empty plastic something or others yesterday? I mean, stuff that, it's, it's other men's scraps. It has no value, but it's theirs. That's how this man would have been, hoping maybe a, a feast day or a special day or a Sabbath would come along and the righteous Pharisee would be, you know, flip him an extra coin. Living in ragged clothes, lousy conditions, nobody cared about him, hiding in plain sight, really, invisible. A nobody. But he had heard that Jesus was coming. And this man had enough faith to try it out. You see, this man saw this as his one opportunity to find a solution for his problem. How was a blind man going to chase Jesus all over Galilee and then on to Jerusalem? How was a blind man going to chase him and find him later? This was his one chance. And you know, in real life, according to history, Jesus never went back to Jericho. This was truly this blind man's one chance to find Jesus. If he missed it, it was over. So now we kind of understand why he cried out. I mean, he has no idea how far away Jesus is. He just knows he's coming, so I'm going to start hollering for him. He may be way back there, but I'm going to keep hollering for him because I don't want to miss him when he goes by because I can't see him. So I'm just going to keep hollering and hollering and hollering. 
Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Well, you know, if, it makes sense. If any of us are in the crowd, you know, he's way back there. And he's busy. And he doesn't, you know, you're just a street guy. And besides that, you're blind. Just go hide in your blankets and be quiet. Oh, here's a coin. That's kind of what we do. You know, it wasn't, it took me a while, I'll just be honest. It took me a little while yesterday, there by, by Pike's Market, when those guys were hollering. I wasn't there when the music was going. But, you know, they, were, they weren't disrespectful, per se, but they just, it was a nuisance. And that's just a nuisance. Now, I would like you to use your imagination. If Jesus was standing by that tree where all you guys were yesterday, and we were standing around him, and we know him, and we're saved, and, and he's our daily... What's the daily here? I got lost. Our daily shepherd. And he's our daily shepherd, and, and we love Jesus. And there's a blind man over there that's just being a nuisance. It makes sense. You know what? You just be quiet. Jesus is busy. I mean, he's healing somebody. So just leave him alone. This man didn't give up. One time, one opportunity. That's all this man had. And he knew it. And it says he cried out the more. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. It is fascinating how God maps things out. That man was there. Jesus was there. The man was hollering. Gives me a great story for tonight. But Jesus worked all that out ahead of time. Jesus knew that was going to happen. Jesus was not surprised. Who's that guy? Well, let's just heal him so he'll at least be quiet. That is not what happened. That's not at all what happened with this man. Do you have the faith that the daily shepherd is sufficient to solve your problems? Whatever your problems may be. This man was a blind man. But you know, this man, he, this man had another problem. He didn't dream big enough. He didn't dream anywhere near big enough. Didn't we talk about that a little bit? To tell your dreams to God? The reality is, is we don't dream big enough, and this guy proves it. Because, gee, he comes up here just a little bit later, and Jesus invites him over, or they have him brought over, and this blind man comes over to Jesus, and Jesus says, well, what do you want? What are you asking for? And he says, well, that I might receive my sight. What was Jesus' response? It was way bigger than that man's dream. Listen to Jesus' response with this as, as we think about how big this, how, how much of a dream this man had. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Okay. It was a trade. He wanted it. Jesus gave it. But it doesn't end there. It says, Thy faith hath saved thee. That man had his sins washed away. That man found his Savior that day. He got his eyesight back. But that was chump change. He got the same thing the paralytic let down through the roof did. Son, thy sins be forgiven. Oh, and by the way, in case you don't believe me, get up and walk. That's what happened here. This man wasn't dreaming big enough. And, and that's where we need to be. Dream big, because God's big. This man may not even hardly have recognized what it meant to be healed. Truly healed. But he got truly healed that day. And if we want to live in freedom, we have to recognize that Jesus Christ is sufficient 
He is sufficient every time as my daily shepherd. What happens when the mocking crowd's there? When the mocking crowd gets in the way? You know, I told you we shared last night when we got back from Seattle. I told you that I ran into a dead branch, right? You know, it kind of it shut me down for a while. And I backed away. Now, I'm not saying I should have pursued that guy. That's not my point. But it kind of shut me down on the inside. I was not anxious to move on and talk to someone else. I don't enjoy being rejected. I don't enjoy being out-talked. I don't enjoy being, you know, chasing a rabbit around the cage with the way this guy's conversation was going. I, I don't appreciate it. I don't enjoy it. And it made me mad, quite frankly. Because I lost sight of the fact that Jesus is sufficient for me and for that man. That man had needs that he can't even fathom. And I didn't dream big enough. I tried to chase him with my own ideas rather than letting God be sufficient in the case with that man. You know, that, that story with that man doesn't end with, reception or the, the, with receiving his sight. It doesn't end with salvation either. That man got up and you know what he did? It says he followed Jesus and he glorified God. Now you think about that. That man had never seen, well, as far as we know, he had never seen anything. So suddenly he's got sight. He gets to see colors and shapes and what people look like and you know all this stuff for the first time. And what's he do? He doesn't go trotting off. I want to go see what an ocean is. And I want to go see what an elephant is. And I want to go eat an orange and, and, and feel and see that. No, what's he do? He follows Jesus. He doesn't take his eyes off of Jesus. First thing he can see, the person who healed his sight, who saved his soul, I am going to fixate on Jesus. Wherever he goes, I'm going. My eyes are not coming off of him. He is my daily shepherd, and I'm not going to take my eyes off of that. That man was committed on the spot. As far as we know, he starved to death following Jesus because he didn't even stop to eat. He just kept focusing. And he followed Jesus and he glorified God. Can you, can you just imagine how that would be to be in this room tonight if we were sitting here watching that event happen? We, we like to sing and we praise God and we worship God and that's true. Imagine how it would be for that man. But bless you tonight, the problem we have is every bit as big. What do we talk about? Sin blinds, sin grinds. And sin, what was the third one? Binds, grinds, blinds. Yeah. Our problem is, is big, and the solution is the same. It's going to our, or finding the sufficiency of our daily shepherd. Dream big, live free, and follow the daily shepherd. You want to live in freedom and have freedom to live? There it is. Dream big. Dream big about the God you serve. What is the limits of a shepherd like that? If you hurt yourself, we pick you up. If you get, if you, if you, whatever your problem is, he's got the solution. Your daily shepherd. I don't think I read that verse that, that where I've supported that. 
Yeah, I did. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's quite a, quite a matchup. This guy couldn't see, but he could hear. And my sheep know my voice. That man heard his daily shepherd coming, and he went after it. Young folks, you have this moment to meet your daily shepherd. You have no idea if Jesus is going to pass by this way again or not. For all, same for all of us. It's not just young folks. They're just sitting here by me. And we've been talking to them all week. All of us. We have but this moment. Because we're not going to pass by this way again. We don't get to relive today. We don't get a do-over. Wasn't that one of the rules of death? That there's no do-overs? Well, we don't get to pass by this way. And it's just possible that Jesus might not pass by this way again either. Someday. Someday. Some regular day, the Lord's going to return. And there's not going to be an announcement, save the date. The save the date was printed, was put together over the last 6,000 years, 4,000 years since, since Moses. The save the date is in there. And if you miss the save the date, you may not get another opportunity. Those people invited to that wedding feast didn't. Though that man didn't. They got thrown out. Is, is Jesus your daily shepherd? The last one. Turn back now to verse 15. And they brought unto him the also infants, that he would touch them. And when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive... Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Number five, lesson number five, living free, staying free, living free, and the freedom to live that way is staying close to our daily comfort. Our daily comfort is where we need to be and live and do anything we can in spite or despite of the obstacles to get to Jesus. Picture this scene. Jesus is busy. I mean, he's, he's always busy. He's healing somebody. He's talking to somebody. He's doing whatever. And he's got his disciples around him. And they had kind of assumed the role of, of a protector, which is kind of ironic, isn't it? The man that can feed 5,000, the man that can walk on water, that he needs a, a group of 12 people to stand around him and be his bodyguards. And they're, they're doing a good job. They're keeping the little kids away. I mean, that's, the, that's exactly what this event is about. You know, we're not going to worry about the big bad guys. We're going to worry about those newsome little kids. Keep them out. They're just, a, they're just a, a, a nuisance. And Jesus just might be getting ready to do something profound. One of the more profound things Jesus did by a child is he fed, I don't remember if it was the 4,000 or the 5,000 plus women and children. That was from a child. I imagine those 12 disciples were thankful the day, that day that that child got close to Jesus. But here we have this scene that these, these little children are being kept away. And Jesus figures this out, or he probably knew it well ahead of time, but he needed to, he was teaching a lesson here. And he was using this as a lesson that we're going to try to get tonight, that we've got to stay close to our daily comfort We've got to do whatever it takes to get right in Jesus' face. Get right where he's at. 
picture Jesus, you know, we've all seen the Bible story book of him sitting on a rock, and he's got some children sitting on his legs and on his lap. And we've had the illustration this weekend, I forget where, I forget who said it, about the, the older child ran out the door and grabbed their daddy's legs. And I got daddy, I got daddy, I got daddy. And the little child was, was observing that and broke down because she couldn't get to daddy. And finally, daddy picked her up. And she says, what did she say? Daddy has all of me. I got daddy and daddy's got me. That is where we need to be living. It's a, it sounds maybe a little, a little funny, but that's okay because that's where we got to live. Think of a child, just a little child. We've got a number of them around here. What do they do when they get on somebody's lap? They touch their face. Maybe sometimes, you've seen it, they grab both sides of their cheeks so they can just zone in on you. Eye-to-eye -eye contact about that far apart. Isn't that what little children do? And they rub your hair and they pull your ear and they cut your nose. That's exactly what they do because they want to know you. They love you. And they want your attention. How is it any different for us? Just because we got older? We are no less childish sometimes than these little children. Otherwise, we wouldn't need to always be looking for the sufficiency of Christ. But we need to get right in Jesus' presence because it's when, it's, when we're there, guess what? Jesus has got all of me. Not 98%. He's got all of me and He is big enough to handle it. Jesus has a, there's an implied warning, and then there is a direct warning in here. As we think about living free and the, and the freedom to live by staying close to our daily comfort, the implied warning is don't become an obstacle. Don't become an obstacle. Don't stop and slow someone else's progress down getting to Jesus. Jesus has a big, big enough arms and a big enough lap. He can take us all at once. We don't need to get in line. We don't have to plan ahead. We don't have to have a reservation. We don't have to get one of those little silly, silly pull tickets. We don't have to do any of that. We can all go to Jesus. And when we get to Jesus, we can all experience that feeling that Jesus has all of me and I got Jesus too. And we can touch him. And we can look at him. And we can find a, a confirmation of our sufficiency when we are face to face with Jesus. You want to live free when we leave here? You want the freedom to live? Then live in the presence of Jesus. That's where you got to be. The second warning is, is get this one. If anybody wants to live free, they got to become like those little kids and get, sorry, <laughs> and get right in Jesus' face. That's exactly what it says. Verse 17, whosoever shall not receive, not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. you got to get there. Because that's where it happens at, is in, at the feet, in the lap, in the face of Jesus. That's where we find our sufficiency is in Him. Don't be an obstacle. 
but don't let the obstacle stop you either. Those disciples, they didn't intend to do some dreadful thing. They thought they were doing a good thing. If they were doing some dreadful thing intentional, Jesus probably would have went on and commented on that. They were just, they just weren't thinking it all the way through. They were probably thinking they were doing Jesus a favor. But you know how easy it is for us to become an obstacle for someone else? It is so simple. Just, they observe us, they watch our lives, they observe how we act and react and talk and everything about it. And when we are not finding our sufficiency in Jesus Christ as our daily, whatever these five are, as our daily these things, then you know, the people watching us start to wonder, well, he says he's saved. He says he's living in freedom, but boy, he's an unhappy man to be living in freedom. I mean, he looks like he's in as much bondage or more than everybody else I see. So where's the, where's the joy there? Or we get frantic and we get frustrated and we get uptight and we lose the shalom, the, sh uh, the shalom, shalom. And there's people watching. People listening. People observing what we do and don't do. Where we go and don't go. What we look like. We look one way at home and we look another way when we leave town. They see all that. And you're becoming an obstacle. But sometimes our peers and our friends, the ones we're with, they can become the obstacle too. So just a warning. The only way that we can find Jesus Christ, find our sufficiency in Jesus Christ as these little children is to recognize and stay close to Him as our daily comfort. The obstacles are always there. Jesus Christ is sufficient to be mine and your daily salvation. Jesus Christ is sufficient to be our daily sanctification. Jesus Christ is sufficient to be our daily sustenance. Jesus Christ is sufficient to be our daily shepherd. Jesus Christ is sufficient to be our daily comfort. We can live in freedom. It is doable. It is possible. It may not always be easy. But we can live in freedom. And we can be free to live. And we can dream big. I mean, the saying is, the sky's the limit with God. That's, that's way too small. <laughs> dream big. And live free. Everything that you need to do that can be found in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. I would like to invite all of you to stand. We'd like to sing a hymn together. It's hymn number 851 in your book as we think about living free. And I would like to invite you that if you want to live in freedom, if you want to be free to live that you raise your voice, raise your hands. And this is a cry to God because thanks be to God, He has already given us the victory. We've already won. We just don't always live like it. And the victory is there. And the freedom is there. And the peace is there. And the joy is there. And the hope is there. It's all there because the victory's already been won. Somebody start this. 851, Victory in Jesus. <laughs>